the thing that got me in such a good position was not making 30, 40 deals happen every single month. Mm -hmm. It was going through all those lessons and roadblocks to where, what did I have? I had more time, not closing 30, 40 deals a month. I had time to sit back and think. I had time to talk to the team. We had time to go in there and even put effort into other companies that we were building Mm -hmm. while maybe we weren't doing 30 deals a month anymore. So obviously lost people on the team, things happened, people walked away. But the beauty behind it was that we wouldn't be here today where we're at with what we currently had as a structure before. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Ryan Zolan back with Agent Investors and he's gonna be talking about the lessons he learned from the three biggest mistakes last year. It's gonna be a fun episode, I'm sure. Just three. Just three. Just three. Uh, And as you guys know, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And we also know one of the fastest ways to become a millionaire is to get really good at sales. And so we've had our sales disruptors community for about two months now, and we have our active members closing more deals already. So if you want to join sales assassins from across the country, go to salesdisruptors.com. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And so I mean, let's just go ahead and get right into it. Let's do it. So we made some lofty promises and we said, is it three mistakes? Maybe it's only three mistakes. Maybe it's more than three. But 2022 was a tough year for a lot of people. For sure. Right? For sure. And we saw people getting into the industry that haven't been in the industry that long, leave the industry. And one of the things I thought was kind of interesting was watching some of the gurus leave the industry, right? Which we knew would happen, but I didn't think it would happen that fast. I, we saw, what was the analogy? It was that the, the tides went away and we saw who was swimming without the trunks. Right. So um, a lot of people were over leveraged. Uh, fortunately, I wasn't too much in that category, mm-hmm. but we did have a lot of change. There's a lot of yeah. learning lessons. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a rocky road, 2022. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, for those that, you know, I may not be aware, you know, Ryan and I go back quite a bit and you share some conversations with me. I uh, hope you don't mind. I'm going to share some of the private conversations. Uh, but you know, one of the things you asked me, like Steve, like I don't understand, like all these people I've been following, uh, looking up to, getting their advice, are struggling a lot more right now in 2022 than I am. I don't understand. Help me understand this. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that at all? Uh, I mean, honestly, it. We all know social media is like the highlight reel. We know mm-hmm. perception is reality. But what I think really confused me was watching. A lot of the fakeness happened on social where it was like, what was it called? Repositioning. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, don't call it repositioning. Just say that you have to exit and you have to lick, lick, uh, go liquid on this to be able to put it back into your business that's struggling right now. Right. Or you have to scale back or you're pivoting or whatever it is. Yeah. So I felt like there was just a lack of transparency. Um, for us, I mean, obviously our strategy of working on the MLS and working with agents doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. So we went from doing 30, 40 deals a month to three, four five deals. It was a really good month, seven. Mm-hmm. And we rode that wave for a while. I mean, there was even a few months there that it was like straight goose eggs. It was mm-hmm. like, shoot. But I also remember in those moments, I mean, I was talking to you, I was talking to a few other people and I was like, well, are we going to fall out of the industry? No, because it, we're just not making as much money as we were, but we're still not spending that much. Right. So I don't know. It was, it was a lot of uh, eye-opening moments. I didn't really know how to prepare for it. And so I kind of just took a step back, rode yeah. the wave. When it certainly helps, right? Because the, the promise of agent investors is you can ro- run a low advertising, low expense advertising business. Correct. And that was definitely helpful. 
it was my saving grace. So while I failed out of direct to seller wholesaling, this was like three or four years ago, um, agent outreach and MLS deals were my saving grace to keep me in real estate. Yeah. Then as the waves got amazing, we rode the wave. Well, then the market got really tight. Okay, well, it was again my saving grace because I wasn't over leveraged with flips. I wasn't over leveraged with marketing. I even had an office building. I subleased it. Like mm-hmm. that's not sexy to talk about, but I'm like, that is the repositioning or whatever you want to call it. If yeah. I was able to go and sublease it and even make some money by going and doing that, why not? So I pivoted with a few things, but we kept in business. And as everyone always says, that's the number one rule of small business. Yeah. Stay in business. Yeah, stay but, alive. Stay alive, fight another day. Yep. And so I think your lease was like twenty four hundred dollars a month. It was like twenty eight hundred with utilities, everything. It was triple net. It came out to like thirty three ish, thirty four hundred. And you were like, Steve, I need to get rid of this. It's like, <laughs> dude, if my expenses are only thirty three hundred a month. I, I know. So- you, I remember there was a lot of times <laughs> I'd go to you, I'm like, Well, what do I do? And you're like, Shut up. Just shut up. And I'm like, All right, my bad. <laughs> So, all right. Um, now we're talking about, um, or actually, before we go continue, you're talking about, you know, the, the fakeness and this and our lack of transparency. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest struggles, right? Is that you see someone privately share, like, man, here's what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And then on social media, it's, it's like all rainbows. All rainbows. Right. And it's like, man, like, this sucks. You can't say anything, right? But like, this sucks. Um, so, the three biggest mistakes. You know, we talked about there was shiny objects. There was it was unorganized, unorganized, and bad partnerships. I mean, yeah. So where, where do we start? So I mean, it kind of all starts with uh, shiny object syndrome. I think that the biggest lesson that I had to start, which I saw the writing on the wall, we saw markets like kind of just tightening up. We saw Arizona, the market started going the wrong direction. Uh, shiny object for us, the very first thing we did was actually try to go hedge fund, and mm-hmm. I think you and I talked about this uh, the other day. But if I had to put one timeline one event that i felt like was the trigger point to our like setback it was just not staying consistent with what we were doing mm-hmm. so like i said i mean we do our deals on the mls we work with agents one of the coolest things that i think is actually probably the most impressive about what we do we weren't selling to hedge funds we weren't selling to institutions a lot of times um people are referred to as order takers where you would just get a deal sent to you and you could sell it to a hedge fund without even thinking about it mm-hmm. we started to try it so I think I can count on one hand the amount of deals we did with a hedge fund, mm-hmm. and it was extremely hard from response time to having to renegotiate to even being on their timeline, which, I mean, a lot of times is a corporate job, nine to five, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. might even be East Coast uh, time zones. So we struggled with that. Shiny object syndrome was that. Um, I mean, we had a staging company. I was trying to do crypto, NFTs. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do all these different things. But the one specific last year shiny object that got in my way was trying to change our business model before the tide even got really bad. Yeah. So. so everyone's talking about how much money they're making from hedge funds. Yeah. And a lot of people did make a lot of money from hedge funds. For sure. Shout out to Matt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so you went from a model where you were, I mean, what was the model before you got distracted with hedge funds? So it was just acquiring deals on the MLS mm-hmm. and then also working with agents, doing agent outreach, not necessarily trying to get off market opportunities, mm-hmm. just trying to get anything and everything they could come across. Yeah. At that point, we'd sell it off direct to an end buyer, or if it wasn't direct to an end buyer, it was going to be to a dispo house that had the buyer. So what kind, who was buying that you could sell to where it made sense if you would have focused on them instead of the hedge funds? So last year, I think that was probably one of the roadblocks we'd have ran into regardless. But rather than taking our time and putting it all into hedge funds and different systems and trying to change what we were doing, I think if we just doubled down, there was the coattail end of the market kind of tapering off that Mm -hmm. we could have still caught a handful of deals. So where we didn't close anything for those goose egg months, I think realistically, we probably could have pulled another 25 to 50K in assignment fees if we just stayed true to what we were doing. Yeah. 
So, but who are the buyers? I mean, like these are mom and pop shop investors. A lot of them are local people here that obviously, mm-hmm. you know, as well that they just go in, they flip five, 10, 15 at a, at a time. And, um, they'll go in and they'll, they're not necessarily buying based on appreciation, mm-hmm. but they were buying thinner margins. They were buying where they were, um, hoping for a better solution. Mm-hmm. No one really had the crystal ball seeing what it would have been. Right. So there was times that, I mean, I would send deals out and people were like, no way. And then I'd end up, I was not only the king of the MLS, I was the king of selling a deal that had one comp. Mm-hmm. So as long as I could prove that there was one comparable property that sold in the last six months, 12 mm-hmm. months, I could make a case for it. Yeah. So. So the other thing you talked about was the, the staging company. Yes. So talk to me about the staging company. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I take full ownership for it. I was the one that was paying the bills for it. I was mm-hmm. the one that paid for the, all the furniture to be out where it was. Um, so I have to take responsibility for it. But I had a partner at the time that came to me and was like, hey, uh, what do you think of if we were to go and invest into this? We were making a lot of money. So I wanted to show that I believe in people and I believe in the process of growing and vertically integrating. Saw mm-hmm. it on a podcast. I'm like, let's do it. So I went and I jumped two feet in, uh, literally went and got the office lease in my name for the exact reason to have a staging company. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm making millions of dollars real estate investing. What do I need a staging company for? A yeah. quick little background is that my thought process was bringing my mom in. She was one of the partners too. Mm-hmm. She loved design. And so we were flipping houses. I thought my mom could come in, help design it, make it an easy process, kind of help us scale that up, maybe even get her out of her nine to five job. Yeah. So I thought didn't actually happen. Yeah. So we ended up not needing to stage houses in the peak of the market. It was crazy out here. I mean, you could literally be doing listing paperwork and you'd have five offers. Mm-hmm. So then as the market started to get a little bit tighter, staging was relevant, but the profit margins weren't there for us. Our yeah. prices didn't make sense. Uh, some of the furniture we had bought was outdated, had dust on it from being in the warehouse. So we were out there buying new furniture, trying to figure out new things to do. It was like five steps forward, 10, step back, 10, ah, 10 steps back. What were the projections? Like, what was like, man, we, we buy this furniture, we do this furniture staging thing, yep. or we do the staging company, we're going to make X a month. So that's the best part of it all. There were no projections. It was all hypothetical <laughs> of like what we imagined. Right, but possibly. hypothetical, but like what was a hypothetical? Hypothetical was that we bought it for 25000 which we shouldn't have done. We mm-hmm. should have bought the furniture individually, piece by piece, and $25,000 worth of furniture would have been much more organized, and it would have been a better process. Mm-hmm. So I think if we had just started without buying an existing staging company, that was the first part. But 25000 in my head would have been a minimum of six figures. Mm-hmm. The girl that we bought it from, she was retiring, but she was on average making about 100, 150 a year from it. Now, that was her gross numbers. Showed us all the P&Ls and stuff like that. We had a formal like business broker contract purchasing her existing mm-hmm. business and changed the name. Uh, but it just didn't pan out. Again, part of it was the market, but then it kind of leads into the next thing, which was unorganized. Mm-hmm. It was an unorganized mess where expectations were Also, before set. we get to unorganized. So, yeah. so it was projecting 100, 150 just because that's what she was doing. Correct. What was the true net? Uh, we, I don't even think broke even, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think we lost money on the, on the stadium company. So it didn't make money? Signed the lease? Oh yeah, three-year three year lease. I mean, and when you're talking thousands and thousands, mm-hmm. my thought was that half the building would be staging company, mm-hmm. the other half is my existing wholesale operation. Yeah. So that was great and it was good for culture, but I also realized that I mean, you don't really need an office unless you're going to have a staging company that's going to be right. like moving. So it didn't make money. Plus you incurred additional expenses. Yes. And then how much time did you spend a week on this? Not okay. Per week, it wasn't terrible per month. And when you start looking at it on like a macro scale, I mean, it was headspace. It was just stress. It was unnecessary where even if I had an empty warehouse with that office, I could have done events there where I was paying every single month 
to go out and I was doing monthly meetups here where it was about 1500 to two grand a month that I was spending in just doing um, masterminds with people. This was free. I had a, a warehouse that was empty that I could have brought people to, could have saved money there. So it was just like a, a pain. It wasn't anything like- it's just, But it's just like when you add them all, all oh, up. Oh yeah. And, 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 a guy at 25 shouldn't have like little gray hairs I'm plucking out at night that I'm like, yeah. what the heck is going on? Like this right. is just too much. And then the other distraction. So uh, we both fell into this crypto world. I fully blame you for this. Right? Don't even, don't even. <laughs> okay, you and Pineda. I blame you and Pineda for this. I was flipping and making some good money there. It was just lump sums of money going out. And I always used to joke with the team, like, if you guys want to know when the best time to buy, yeah, everyone says it's the dip. Just wait for Ryan Zolan to buy crypto and I promise you it's going to go down. Yeah. So you're ready to go buy. Just let me do it first and then you'll buy the next day and you'll thank me. Yeah, because I know like Ryan went crazy with it. Yep. I think he spent like three quarters of a million on, um, what is it? Neo Tokyo, right? Yep. And then you come along, you're like, hey, I bought this Gary V thing. Yeah, I, I'm still riding that one out. At this point, I've drank the Kool-Aid. I have to. So that's, that's where I'm at on that one. Right. So, but you bought like some Gary V thing, I think for like 80K or something crazy. Yeah. Right. I was like, okay, these guys are in. All right, I'm in. And I bought some Neo Tokyo thing, right? It was like 140K. Yep. I don't think I can get 20K for today, right? Yep. And that's just kind of what happened. So you weren't the only one that was getting distracted by shiny objects. For sure. For sure. (laughs) And also, I mean, it was towards the, um, more towards the end of the year before uh, early last year, Mm -hmm. 2021, 2022, where it wasn't too, um, too bad. I mean, I had the money in the account. I made the decisions I thought were the best in the moment. Mm -hmm. The biggest shiny object I felt was obviously that hedge fund move. And then uh, that staging company. Those were the two really big setbacks. The NFT one, I'm still riding out the wave. I'm still blaming you for that. Um, So, I mean, like we had Jamil and Brandon just kind of walk through the offices. They got to see my little canvas, right? Yep. Like, that's a really expensive canvas. Um, but I'm so grateful I did it, right? I shared this with you. If I didn't, if I didn't get distracted by NFTs, I wouldn't have uh, circled back into the whale club. Because yep. it all worked out in the end. I think that was a thank you. So, you're welcome. Yeah, that was a thank you. <laughs> you're like, this is your fault. But also. But also, <laughs> it's going to save me a lot of headache down the road. Good. good okay. Good. So, that was number one. Yes. So those are the three biggest things, three biggest mistakes, or one of the three biggest mistakes. Yes. What are lessons learned? Uh, just double down on what I know I'm good at. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to go out there and do multiple things. Obviously, I've got a lot on my plate, and we're even opening up different ventures, different podcasts, all these different like opportunities. Mm-hmm. But all that said, I have really good partners in the things that I'm doing now. Um, I didn't really have the best structure. I didn't have the best expectation set. Um, not to blend them together, but being unorganized again was my biggest downfall. Yeah. I felt as if everything was just so fast. I was making a lot of money, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. But as you're spending a lot of money and you're trying to grow really fast and you're promising things to people and stuff, it just it became a mess. So my biggest lesson was just to breathe and try to make a more educated decision before just pulling the trigger on something. Yeah, maybe slow down before you jump in with both feet. Correct. Yeah. Run it past Steve. Yeah. Well, I think I tried to talk you out of the staging company. You, you did. <laughs> so all right so that's the first one so the second one was organized yeah so what does that mean didn't have a PL until like 2022 officially mm-hmm. like i mean i knew what my tax my taxable income was and i knew like rough a range of stuff but 2022 is the first year like down to the penny i knew where everything went knew exactly what category it was in how everything should have been done filing wise uh part of that was comfort 
Mm-hmm. A lot of times I think where people get stuck, we always hear analysis paralysis. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was me trying to figure out logos or LLCs or company names. I think it was like the actual structure and like business of it. Like people don't realize when you have your LLCs, you've got to file stuff yearly. You've got to make sure it's in good standing. You've got to make sure that your bank accounts are done right. You can't be paying bills from your personal account for your business, business for personal. And no one taught me that. This is the kind of stuff that I'm really passionate about teaching with generational assets is that I just feel like there's so much stuff out there that isn't taught. And when you get into business, it's like life. It's a free for all. There is no guideline. There is no book of business. There's a million podcasts. There's a million books. There's a million different resources. They're not all right. So what I had to do was fail forward. Um, I fired my CPA and finance team I had for about six, seven years. I was paying way too much money in taxes and it was just a mess. So again, going back to one of our conversations, it's like, I am paying way too much in taxes. Oh, yeah. I paid just under 40K last year to a CPA. And this year I'm on track to pay half that. And my tax bill will be multiple six figures less than what I paid last year. Yeah. So the cost of being unorganized? Uh, probably if I had to put a dollar amount on it, 250 to 300 without yeah. even hesitation. Yeah. So multiple six figures is yeah. the price you pay for not wanting to look at it. And look, that's how most of us are. Like, that's kind of how we're wired, right? We want to go hard, charge, go all in, this and that. Yep. And then we'll figure out the money later. Yep. We're true visionaries, right? Yeah. We're right? not that's, integrators. That's how most of us are. But it takes one, I mean, I don't know if we can equate this, you know, like a solid kick to the legs, right? Like a sweep kick. That was a leg sweep. Yeah. Right? Like you were, you were knocked over. That was it. And you had to survey the landscape. I think this is the best, like, hopefully picture I could paint here for everyone that helped was that. The thing that got me in such a good position was not making 30, 40 deals happen every single month. Mm -hmm. It was going through all those lessons and roadblocks to where, what did I have? I had more time, not closing 30, 40 deals a month. I had time to sit back and think. I had time to talk to the team. We had time to go in there and even put effort into other companies that we were building Mm -hmm. while maybe we weren't doing 30 deals a month anymore. So obviously lost people on the team, things happened, people walked away. But the beauty behind it was that we wouldn't be here today where we're at with what we currently had as a structure before. Yeah. So besides the finances, mm-hmm. where else do you find you feel you were unorganized? Dude, I, I don't know if it's just me in real estate, but I mean, I felt like life in general. Like mm-hmm. we always want as humans to have routine. We want consistency. No one right. likes change. No one likes confrontation. No one likes uncertainty. That's all real estate really is, especially in 2022. Mm-hmm. So I was riding these waves. I was trying to figure things out. Um, Personal life was just the only thing I had stable was Amber. So I think just kind of staying true with her, that was the best thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The downfall was just the fear of the unknown. And what I've learned, at least from years in real estate, is that when the fear hits you, you either nut up or shut up, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the sayings that I always got told, this is back uh, when I was over at Keller Williams, they're like, don't be the bitch, be the bull. I was like, all right. So I just had to be the bull. So Mm -hmm. push through it, persevere. Um, I didn't need any fancy podcasts. I didn't need someone patting me on my back when I got up and made my bed. I just had to be self-disciplined and understand that it's just 1% better every day, 2% better every single day. Were there other things, you know, you're talking about disorganized, right? Finance is a part of it, but like, how about operations? I mean, KPIs, SOPs, they were constantly changing, uh, but that was also the market. And I don't really- Did you feel like you were on top of it or did you feel like- I think I was before the shiny objects. I think that I had at least a better understanding as to how to go and make a million dollar a year business from Mm -hmm. wholesale, uh, adding in multiple people, adding in different ventures, adding in all that stuff. The lines got a little blurred. It became a point where um, KPIs are what? Five offers per day. The only person that I felt was actually being consistent with doing like KPIs was Amber. She was writing like 
literally not um, any automations or anything, but she was actually manually doing contracts every day, mm-hmm. but for five, six, seven people. So she was doing 30, 40, 50 contracts per day. That's the only metric that I saw that was consistent. Mm-hmm. I just kept seeing the deals go lower, lower, lower. Yeah. So, so seeing that you weren't, you didn't have like clear visibility mm-hmm. on your KPIs, again, how did that impact everything? Um, what I've learned to be a better leader now is that I need to have the vision clear because not being able to be the leader that I know that I am inside of, hey, we're not going to go work hedge funds. Hey, this staging company isn't making sense. This needs to go. Mm-hmm. Being able to call it what it is now, I think that was the biggest lesson, but um, what it costed me, money, yeah, <laughs> headspace, uh, opportunities. I mean, right now where we're at, we have opportunities coming across our table left and right from mm-hmm. deals to things with athletes to new shows to um, even deals now. Deals are back up. I think part of that is because we just stayed true. I didn't right. go jump around and try to do 15 other things. So I guess you, you kind of already said it, but just to reiterate, what was the lesson then from being disorganized? What was the lesson learned from being disorganized? Be organized. Uh, find a way. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're going to go make less money up front. You need to have it all planned out and configured before you, at least a plan. A plan needs to be in place. Well, and then have the right accountant. So I skip over that because I finally got that now. Um, shout out to Tyler Blair, one of my best friends, hooked me up with the person that uh, he's been working with. And now we have a legal department, tax planning, tax strategy. I have a trust set up. I have, um, they do all my bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. They do all my, like everything finance. So, yeah. so which should save, you, should save you a lot of money now. And they're cheaper. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, okay, so that was the second one, disorganized. Yep. Third one. Oof partners mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure this is one of the first things you'd said to me when i um was getting mentored by you and it was why do you need partners and mm-hmm. this is even as you had partnerships and i was yeah. just like oh steve's a hypocrite whatever I, I mean i readily admit i'm a hypocrite when it comes to this you were right though um but it's just that i i thought that having more people again mm-hmm. which is so freaking funny because i used to tell this story when i was a real like realtor doing freaking I don't know, I made $100,000 one year, had 20-something people working for me. And all I remember is I was like, add another agent, add another agent. And I have a lot of friends that are still in that same mentality. It's constantly recruiting. Mm -hmm. More bodies doesn't mean shit. Mm -hmm. More bodies means more headaches. It means more liability. It means more problems. And while problems can equate to opportunity, as long as they are willing to work and they're actually valuable. So I had the wrong people in the wrong place. I had the wrong people wearing the wrong hats. And honestly, as much as it's easy for me to point the fingers, it all comes back onto me. It was right. under my roof. It was under that office that I signed up for. So mm-hmm. uh, it is what it is. I just had to understand that partnerships aren't a, nece- um, a necessity. And also, too, if I am going to go and have partnerships, expectations just need to be cleared out. They need to be yeah. put on the table. This is where my headspace is at. This is my role. And also lose the ego. I'm not going to walk into anything and tell somebody what their position is if they're going to help me build something. We are partners. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to try to build something along the right people now. And so the partners that I do have lined up with stuff, I mean, this time around, I feel a lot more confident. Yeah. How many partnerships did you have that ended last year? We lost our dispo guy. We lost the flipping department, lost staging company, lost two people that were helping me build agent investors, and then my finance. The finance, agent investors, uh, staging company, dispo, and then flips. I don't know if you count dispo as a partner. But four yeah. people. Yeah, the dispo one is kind of confusing. So just guy on the team, but four yeah. people total. Flipping, okay. staging, agent investors, finance. Right. So 
Finance. What's the finance component? That was the CPA and all them. I called them partners. They're part of my operation. Okay. But not anymore. Not anymore. So now we got the new finance team, got the new accountants, yeah. all that stuff. And so you had, um, talk to me about what were the biggest challenges in having a partnership? Um, I'm going to try to word it in a way where I don't come across like the problem because obviously I had plenty of to blame inside all of it. And then, yeah. again, it's all my fault. Extreme ownership, right? Mm-hmm. Um, expectations weren't set and ego was the biggest issue. So a lot of times we're in real estate, you know, the grass always looks greener. Everyone always jumps ship. Everyone always talks about how there's a lot of turnover in real estate. And I always ask why it is because they think they can do more without you. Mm-hmm. And so I applaud that 99% of the time and correct me if I'm wrong. It's usually not. The problem is that they weren't willing to water the grass where they were. Mm-hmm. So ego, I always talk about ego and entitlement is the killer in real estate. It was under my roof. Um, there was a lot of characters, a lot of personalities, a lot of things now that honestly, I'm even embarrassed was being said in my office, like mm-hmm. from just inappropriate conversation being had with things that I could tell were just issues that were going on at home that shouldn't have been said at the office. Mm-hmm. Things that, you know, I mean, I didn't have HR. So now right. I'm like looking at it like, the writing was clear as day on the wall. Why didn't I want to read it? So that was probably the biggest lesson I had to learn there was if you're not wanting to have the conversation, odds mm-hmm. are you should probably have it sooner than later because if not, it's going to end with people blowing up at each other in an office during a meeting. Yeah, so things are said, whether appropriate, inappropriate, uncomfortable, whatever, needs to be addressed. For sure. Right now. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because letting it simmer it's going to pop. Yeah. And it did. But and again, market change, a lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people that I had in my team, combine them all. I had more seniority with what I had by myself than all of them combined. Mm-hmm. I've seen real estate yeah. when the going's going great. It's all rainbows and butterflies. Mm-hmm. When it gets going, people get going. So that's what I was experiencing was a lot of uncertainty. And it goes back to um, being unorganized. If I had a clearer vision and I said, here's the three buckets of things we're working on. This is what I'm doing over here primarily. This is what I imagine you guys are going to run over here. And this person's in charge. This is what we're working on on the side. X, Y, and Z, who, not how, in the right positions. Yeah. It would have been a little bit easier. It would have been. But I think, like, because you and I had a lot of conversations last year. I think you had clarity. No. Maybe everyone with you, with underneath, did not have the same clarity. I agree with that. Is that what, is that, that was the... I mean, my clarity wasn't expressed. It wasn't, um, wasn't necessarily communicated properly. I think that's where I could have done much better was being the leader saying, hey, I know that things are rocky right now, but here's what we're going to do to stay true to this. Where I was trying to be everybody's best friend was, you want to do hedge funds? (sighs) Hell yeah, let's go work with hedge funds. Mm -hmm. Matt, what do you do? uh, How do we do this? How do we send you deals? Mm -hmm. How do we learn X, Y, and Z about new strategies rather than just, hey, we have a system, we have a proven concept. It's not always going to be 30, 40 deals a month, but also our strategy changed. I have no desire at all to go do 30 to 40 deals a month anymore. Like seven to 10 comfort, but also too, um, I have the right people in place now where they all know what needs to get done. They have their own responsibilities. The expectations are clear as day and what they put into it is what they're going to get out of it. How do you set the proper expectations? learning this from you, but it's asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of what I did last year was asking the people on my team was, what do you want to do? Because maybe I didn't even have the right people in the right positions. Mm -hmm. So like even Brandon, as example, Brandon told me day one when he started, he wanted to go work with athletes. Well, he's put in two years with us. And 
what have we done to build athletes? Is that a writing on the wall that Brandon's going to leave? I know him well enough. Probably not. Mm -hmm. But am I failing him by not helping him get to his dreams and his goals? Absolutely. So Press Capital became a very, very top mind opportunity for him and myself. So we started building. Um, I think asking the right questions allows me also to understand the right people and what they need to do. And then we also did the predictive index, went mm-hmm. through went through that with you, um, was able to get people with the right personalities doing the right stuff. Yeah. And then let's say future ventures, right? So like now you know what they want, but how do you set the expectations? Like here's what you're responsible for. Here's what I'm responsible for. I Maybe I'm an asshole. I don't know. I just have non-negotiables now. Like mm-hmm. I'm not willing to go put in too much time, effort, energy, or money into something that I don't want to do or something that I don't see the upside in. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't care about the people. It's just that at this point in time, I've helped a number of people that have also just got up and left, and I am a little jaded now. I would rather just go and do what I know mm-hmm. is going to get me to the vision that I want, and those that are around me that believe in it as well. I'll see you guys at the promised land. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the same thing too, right? So like I am a hypocrite when it comes to partnerships, right? But when I do bring in a partner, it's like, I'll be very clear here. This is what to expect. You're driving this. Correct. Operators. Yeah. Yep. If I have to drive this, I am not interested in partnership. In this partnership. Right? Yep. So everything that we do, someone else has to be the driver. Sure. And it's very clear uh, on that. So again, so the biggest lessons with the partnerships then is have the right people. And expectations. Expectations. And the right people, a good mix of that has to do with their, uh, how they behave. Uh, I would actually say 90% of it is how they behave. I would yeah. rather have somebody that doesn't have all the qualifications but is a better human because mm-hmm. that's somebody I'm looking to build with long-term. Right. At the end of the day, um, I don't expect anybody to be perfect. I'm far from perfect myself. Mm-hmm. But if I can build something alongside you for the next 5, 10, 15 years, let's rock and roll. Yeah. Okay, so expectations with the right people, right people being that have what you guys are aligned and mission and aligned and you you're, you have the right behaviors. Mm-hmm. In general okay so um so those are the biggest mistakes that we can come up with yep what what's happening now like that was last year yeah so what is 2023 bringing 2023 we've picked back up on deals mm-hmm. i mean look at the whole moral here we stayed true to what we were doing we doubled down on the mls we did open another market so we opened up florida florida's mm-hmm. been great to us uh but mls and agent outreach i am not direct to seller at all Fix and flips. I am fix and flipping again, but we're doing it with a partnership with another company where we had a similar arrangement that we did in the past, but this company is going in and they're knocking out flips in four to six weeks. They're, so They already have a track record. They own the construction company. They know how to operate 10 to 15 flips at a time, and they understand time is money. So right. in this time around, uh, flips were also very particular. I'm not going in and taking down any fire burn, any gut jobs, anything like tear down. We are cosmetic, lipstick remodel. Let's get in, get out, move on. Because also, as we all learned, the market is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So we got um, kind of kicked in the ass on that one, but now we've got it turned back around on flips. Uh, still doing wholesale, Arizona and Florida. We opened up generational assets. So we are creating basically what Agent Investors was, but for multiple courses and communities out there. So we're trying to create financial literacy platform for newer agents, newer investors, and also for the youth. Uh, We opened up Press Capital Group, where we're helping athletes learn how to create financial freedom. That led to a show that's now going to be formed where you're helping us build this out, Mm post-game. Post-game is going to be the show where we ask athletes, what's the plan after you're done? I mean, it's all great. You're making a lot of money. But when that goes away, then what? Mm -hmm. Um, The goal isn't to teach them just real estate. The goal is to teach them all different things from business to life to personal development to obviously real estate kind of being the forefront. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then Agent Investors. Agent Investors passed over 500 people. We launched that April awesome. 1st of last year. Uh, I don't know if that was like a weird, in a way, saving grace too, but we launched as the market was booming. So everyone wanted to learn MLS. Everyone wanted to learn agent outreach. And then as the market shifted, everyone's running around like a chicken with its head cut off. So they're looking for new opportunities. So agent investors kind of took off, went from, I mean, we just passed over 500 recently, but we got 400 people from April 1st to uh, December of last year. Wow. So that was insane. That's been a lot of time, effort, energy, and uh, I pour everything I have into that community. So a yeah. bunch agent, of stuff. Agent investors, new show. Uh, generational assets yeah, doing deals flippings back um yeah we got we got a bunch of stuff yeah the post game kind of mentioned that and i think that's i think that's a great title right yeah so brandon came up with that one all right so shout out to brandon shout out to brandon so talk to me about like that should already be a thing it should and it's not i mean financial literacy should be a thing true Right. I mean, I don't know. It's tough because I am very excited about it. Obviously, we're all biased. We are very excited about the show. Um, huge shout out to Brandon. And then we've got Jamil, Jamil Douglas, a former NFL veteran that played in the league. We have a great crew behind this. So what our goal is, is really to not just be transparent and get a bunch of athletes. It's to have fun with it. I think that the fact that there is no show here, there's a lot of opportunity in a million different ways possible. I'm yeah. sure there's going to be business ventures. There's going to be masterminds. There's going to be private lending, there might be a fund, there might mm -hmm. be us partnering up and buying a bunch of deals together. Who knows? Yeah. So, well, because, you know, you look at like Draymond Green, he's got a podcast, yep. doing really well with it. Yep. Paul George, I mean, I don't know how he spends as much time creating as much content as he does, but he is, right? <laughs> so like, you see it in the NBA, but you don't really see it so much in the NFL. Am yeah. I Am I missing anything? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a number of guys in the NFL that end up on podcasts and stuff, and they're mm -hmm. all well-connected with the others that do have shows. Mm -hmm. But what we found is that a lot of the shows that are done by athletes, they're kind of on Zoom. They're not like professionally recorded. They're not done like in a studio. They don't have yeah. a production team behind it. Uh, so it's more of just like a hobby rather mm -hmm. than it is like an intention. So yeah. I think that's probably one of the biggest setbacks to why they don't take off. So, okay. So you guys can bring quality in. Mm-hmm. Why should someone listen to that show? Uh, first off, I mean, if you like sports, you're going to find a lot of joy and excitement watching mm -hmm. some of your favorite players, listening to perspectives of guys that have been in the league, some that are still in the league, and what day-to-day -day is like. Uh, a lot of times people end up paying monthly subscriptions just to be like on a VIP list or mm -hmm. on like a, a, news, a newsletter, email letter, whatever it is. Why? Because they just want to know what goes on behind the scenes. So I think it's going to be really cool for perspective purposes to be able to get what an athlete grew up with how a lot of them really just trained their entire life to be a professional athlete. Yeah. So what is lacking It is the financial literacy. And what we found as we were kind of building up press capital group was that a lot of the stuff behind the scenes, they kind of throw in the financial classes and stuff mm -hmm. towards the end of the day. So after you're done working out, you're done with all the stress, looking at film, reading your playbook. Oh, by the way, here's a class on finance 101. Yeah. I'm trying to think it was like, it was one of those HBO specials or like NFL films. Right, we got Tony Dungy coming in. Yep. He's like, all right, guys, like, don't go out and party. Yep. And like, don't spend all your money. For sure. Like, at a rookie camp, I just don't see how that message, like, right after the draft, I don't see how that message really lands. It's but, tough. And I think that maybe that's where us being younger, um, not yeah. only more relatable, but I can ask some questions, obviously, again, learning some sales stuff from you, yeah. that if I can ask them the right questions, the goal isn't to call them out. The goal is to make them think of things differently. Uh, yeah. God forbid leg snaps on the next play. God forbid you don't get that second contract. Like Willie, 
Willis McGahey, right? That sounds right. Yeah. 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 Blew his knee and just like the... So that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. And when that does, then what? I mean, if you don't have a backup plan, if you don't have any other income... You got to have Lloyds of London insurance, man. That, was, that really came for sure. Wrong. For sure. Yeah. And so what scares, I think, not just me, but the athletes in that position is that if they don't have the keys to success... Mm-hmm the odds of failure are exponentially higher. I mean, I forget what the statistic is, but it's um, after they're out of the league. Majority of them lose their money. Majority of them end up going bankrupt. Yeah. That's horrible. That's terrifying, especially because you're given lump sums of money. Let's talk about how to keep it, not how to spend it. Yeah. So We had uh, Jason McAdley, right? He played for the Cardinals. Yep. Um, he was on my basketball team, him and Robert Tate. We used to play in our intramural leagues. Fun times, right? Fun times, except Charles Suggs was in our league too. And- he was he was really physical. Yep. yep. Uh, he, I mean, I remember like he, I was boxing him out. He did a swim move, and I like flew like four feet. Um, but I remember with McGadley, we were talking, and he was like, "Hey, Steve, um, I'm gonna, I, I, I have to leave our team." I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, I just got a call from the Redskins." I was like, "You gotta pick, you gotta make a decision, right?" Like, yeah. Redskins are our team. He's like, "Are you serious?" Like, "No, I'm not serious." Like, "Go have fun," <laughs> right? But it was really important to him to sign with the Redskins because that was going to be his fourth year. Yep. And I think, if I remember correctly, it's been a while. If I do the fourth year, then I get the pension. So it was like, I have to make it. And there's this, all this pressure. You had to play four full seasons or yep. whatever it was. Uh, and, and, you know, it's been a while, so details might be murky. But if you didn't play the four full seasons, and it's not like four seasons. It's like four games worth, four yep. seasons worth of games, yep. right? So. 64 games or whatever. If you didn't play it, for sure. Well, and I mean, pension. I get why the leagues put that in place. I mm-hmm. also understand that the statistics typically are not. Most people don't make that. They don't make that. And that's even before that second contract. So that yeah. means if you're on a rookie contract, I mean, yes, you're making more money than the average person. But when it's all said and done, that's not retirement. That's not enough to be able to get you through life. Yeah. You so get 10 years of that guaranteed. Our whole goal is that as we're talking to a lot of athletes, we're finding that. I get it. You want the watches, you want the chains, you want the nice clothing, bottle service, nice dinners. I would rather see assets. Let's talk about the liabilities later. And more importantly, let's have the assets pay for the liabilities. Yeah. So I was watching a great video from Preston um, Brown yep. and uh, he was, uh, he's like, you see this car I'm driving right now? It is irresponsible. It's a stupid amount of money. You should never spend this much money, right? It's stupid. What kind of car was it? I don't know. It was a nice exotic car, yeah. right? I mean, it had suicide doors. But he was like, you should never spend this much money irresponsibly unless you're just blowing from, uh, unless you're just spending the money from all your assets. Yep. Right? If you've got assets, you can do whatever you want with that money. Literally. It comes from that. Yep. But don't spend your active income. Use your active income to buy assets and use that assets that spits off money. The passive income can pay for any kind of liability yeah, you want. You can blow it on wherever you want. It's like, yep. I'm not even sure that's the right answer either. Well, but it's better. So my thing that we were comparing it to was aside from obviously the luxury stuff and um, like any kind of like whatever items, we found a lot of times there's uh, almost like a salary or an allowance that they're giving to friends or giving to family. Well, now you're creating this awkward tension Mm -hmm. when you can't pay that, that if you can at least set the expectation that, hey, I'm going to pay you instead of five grand lump sum here, 10 grand lump sum here, two grand here, pay for this bill. Yeah. You're going to have a set income of $2,000 from this one property. This $2,000 from this one property, they get per month. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, then you can make the decision of what makes the most sense financially from selling that, refinancing, um, maybe lowering what their income is from that property. But yeah. the expectation isn't 
unknown. The expectation isn't that you're always going to be the provider. The expectation right. is that they're going to get something from you, but they understand what it took for you to get that asset. So it's all just, again, perspective, but yeah, we're trying to... And expectations. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting because right? I think uh, like MC Hammer is the one that everyone knows, right? Like made yep. 35 million and it was like, where did it all go? Like, when all, all went to his entourage. Yep. Right? Like 30 plus people always with him. That's it. And it's expensive. Very expensive. Very expensive. Friends. For real. Yeah. All right. So one other, the other thing I mentioned earlier, like, you know, they should know this already. But you said they should also know financial literacy, mm-hmm. right? So like, where is this coming from? You're a young guy. Like you're, you, you already sound frustrated that most people don't have financial literacy. Where is this frustration coming from? Um, a lot of it's internal. It's frustration at myself realizing that I feel like I'm behind. So if I'm 25 and I've had the success that I've had and I feel behind, what do other people feel like mm-hmm. that are maybe even just making 40K a year? Like, are you not stressed paycheck to paycheck? Are you, do you legitimately love what you do? And so I like to ask some of the questions I shouldn't ask people. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I also grew up in high school where they told me I wasn't going to succeed. Mm-hmm. They told me the only option for a guy like myself, because I couldn't qualify to go to college, was to go to community college for the first two years, then transfer over to university if I was lucky. Mm-hmm. And I was like, taking advice from a teacher making 40K a year. I always put the disclaimer, I love education. I love personal development. I love learning. Mm -hmm. I hate hypocrites, sorry, nothing against you, Steve. Um, But I hate (laughs) hypocrites that are going to tell me what I need to do when they aren't practicing it themselves. So when you're going to tell me you're not going to succeed because of whatever your personal belief is, I also didn't have the awareness at a young age that a lot of the stuff they were saying was internal within themselves. So they were like, hey, you're not going to succeed unless you do this, this, and this. And I'm like, okay, well, your definition of success is that piece of paper. Mm. My definition of success is not giving a shit about a piece of paper, being on a beach somewhere, knowing that my, my passive income is going to cover all my, my income or all my um, liabilities and all my bills that I've got every single month. So I don't know. I just feel like the education system, it's failed. I mm-hmm. think that a lot of the stuff out there, the reason our society is so liberal and emotional, mm-hmm. obviously Gen Z. It's the entitlement. My generation wants to make more for doing less. And look, I get it. I do have Gen Z. It's not just my last name. (laughs) I have the Gen Z in me where I want to make a bunch of money while not having to work either. Mm -hmm. But I also understand reality. And if you are one of those crypto millionaires that can go make a billion dollars, you're not killed yet. The (laughs) odds of you finding success and keeping that money are still very slim. So I've at least found a good lane. And I think real estate's a great industry for people that are trying to go out there and make a lot of money, especially for the youth. Mm -hmm. But I just wish that there was still a blueprint. Look at where I'm at. I mean, that was year six last year. This is year seven this year. Mm -hmm. So year six, I mean, I made probably a couple million dollars total and everything. But in year six, how many failures did we just go through? Mm -hmm. I mean, that amount of failures in what I went through in year six is enough to wipe out, I don't know how many people. Like A lot of people. Majority of them. I mean, we saw people that were even wildly successful, wildly successful that had to change their entire business. They were selling off things that they had just hyped up and posted on social media bragging about. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I think it all goes back just to perspective again. I've learned to ride the wave. And now at this point, I'm just trying to make sure that I can do my, uh, my part. And I want to show the younger crowd how they can do it too. Yeah. And I think, I think this financial literacy thing, it's so important. And a lot of people talk about it. And there are people trying to do it. Mm-hmm. But we haven't cracked the code on how to get that message out there. Because it's blocked with um, school systems. So what I've learned is... Well, if it's taught in, through school, but I mean, I don't outside think... Outside of it. it I don't think be. schools even qualify to teach, right? I mean, how could someone... No disrespect to the teachers, right? But like, how could someone who's making 40, 50K teach someone about 
financial literacy. So, so I, I don't know. I guess the thing for me that was like almost like a one in a million, my marketing teacher, it's obviously CTE. So CTE is not just your traditional um, education. It wasn't math, science, history, anything like that. Uh, but he owned a grocery store. So he was making a quarter million dollars a year. He gave that up and moved across the country to teach business. So I felt the person that was teaching me business at least had the perspective of being on the other side and how hard it was to mm-hmm. build that up. So I think it worked in my case, but how many business teachers are out there? How many business teachers are out there that also have actually owned a business? It's the same thing in college. I don't think it's a whole lot. It's very slim. So I think that where the education is going to have to come, it's after school. What I would like to do is actually compete against the educational narrative and go and be side by side with the trade school. I think the East Coast of the world, they are... They've got it all figured out. They're actually having people go and do the profession first. And if you like it, then you go get the degree for Where? it. This is like in Europe. They do this in like the UK. Mm. They prefer you to go and try your trade. If you like it, then you continue it. Again, yeah. don't know the statistic, but the amount of times people change their degree in college. Mm-hmm. You can't expect an 18-year-old to know what they want to do for the rest of their life. I mean, I'm 25 right. and I can barely think about what I want to do tomorrow. Like yeah. I, 18 years old, you don't make those decisions. So, yeah. so I think like right now, I mean... As much as we don't care for Dave Ramsey's some of his opinions, he's really our thought leader out there. Like he's the best. He's the only one. Uh, he's one of the most well known, I should say. I yeah. definitely am on the same page. I don't agree with the whole save, save, save. But right. at the same time, but you got like him. You got Susie, Susie or- Orban, right? Yeah. Something like that, right? Like you got those are really the only voices out there because college isn't qualified or high school isn't qualified to teach it. Middle school isn't qualified to teach it. College so, like, doesn't. Yeah, it'd be nice, but I mean, like. For us, the good thing, and I'm not even saying that my parents said the right way, but at least we talked about money. For sure. Right? At least we talked about not going in the crazy credit card debt, not spending money you don't have. There was an element of financial literacy, but I was maybe like, you know, an eighth grade level of financial literacy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I would love for us all to figure out a way. I want to be just another option. So even if after high school, someone that was in my shoes similar, they could come out of this and say, I want to go to generational assets. Mm -hmm. Great. Generational assets can actually point you in the right direction to the proper trade school. Generational assets can point you in the right business, not even necessarily real estate. But what do you want to do? I mean, a lot of times what I'm seeing with the younger crowd is they fall into the shiny object syndrome. It's the crypto, it's the NFTs, it's the stock trading, whatever. I get it. But if you don't understand that all of it does take hard work and consistency, you're not going to find success in anything. So I'd love to be a broker of information to where people can go in and it's not going to be me teaching everything. I find the best of the best and the most qualified to teach whatever their trade and their um, their secret sauce is to the younger crowd. And more importantly, make it affordable. Yeah. I think that the education system outside of just college and high school is also flawed because all the gurus charge tens of thousands of dollars yeah. for what? Proxi- better than, better pro- than college. For sure. And I understand paying for proximity, yeah. but I'm not paying to sing Kumbaya and not get what I paid for. Yeah, quality is different depending on who's teaching it. Um, For sure. You know, it's kind of crazy. Like right now, uh, my 10-year-old watches on TikTok, YouTube shorts, uh, my rich BFF. Okay. Right? And like that girl is like saying like intelligent stuff. She's probably like 22. That's awesome. And she's just making TikToks that she's repurposing for for YouTube shorts. And my daughter's watching. It's like, Dad, you know this? You know that? It's like, yeah, I did. But that's pretty cool. Right? Sure. It's cool that a 10-year-old is thinking about these things, right? Thinking about buying assets to pay off liabilities. It's conversations um, that most 10-year-olds don't yeah. have. They're worried about usually what skin they have on Fortnite or whatever at this point. Right. So, What was it like? It's like 
you know, if you get a credit card, ten euros should not be getting a credit card. But if you get a credit card, make sure you have points that has the highest right return, right. so that you pay it off every month, but you get to use it for travel. What it's like, it's cool having these conversations with a ten year old. For sure, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. For sure. Anything you want to leave everyone with? Uh, no, we're we're growing. We're here. Um, still here, I should say. Still here. So. We're, I guess that's the message. We're still here. Yeah. But uh, no, we're we're just building. We're keeping our heads down, uh, trying to block out a lot of noise and just mm-hmm. stay consistent. Uh, we're putting a lot of emphasis and focus into building the financial literacy programs and then also helping athletes. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure people will be seeing us a lot pop up with all the shows and stuff we're doing with that. Uh, and then aside from that, as always, send us deals, anything and everything we could buy in Arizona, Florida. Would love to be a buyer. Uh, and then agent investors probably like the worst salesperson for it. But if people are interested in learning about what we do to get deals on the MLS and work with agents, agent investors is there for that. Well, I mean, that's something that we're all working together doing the family tree. That too. Yes. Family tree. Right. And the real family tree, like I am actively teaching realtors how to find motivated sellers. Yes. Because that's what wholesalers do. Yep. And realtors for some reason don't like to do that. Correct. So we're going to be doing that. And as we marry, how to find motivated sellers and realtors, a natural um, end result is they might want to join agent investors to get better at that. Or they end up at Family Tree if you're a licensed realtor. And that's a whole other freaking note that I cannot believe we did not touch on. Yes, yeah. the Family Tree. Um, I gave shout outs to Matt, but didn't even mention the Family Tree. So Matt, Nicole, myself, Amber, you, mm-hmm. Family Tree, any realtor. I mean, we, we'd love to have them. Uh, we, yeah. we just passed over all of, I think, in the Family Tree total between all of us, we're at like 110. So 110 people with us at the family tree. That's insane. We launched this June of last year. I think you shut down the brokerage. Yeah, I shut down the brokerage. May of last year is when I shut down the brokerage. So 15 months later. We have over 100 people that are with us, um, actively closing deals, building community. We do free coaching calls for the family tree members every Tuesday. So if you guys are realtors and you're trying to find a community of people that could help you out and are like-minded, this isn't just traditional real estate. I'm not giving you um, the yellow pages and say, hey, Go cold call. I'm not going to go. Go hammer the phones. Yeah, no, no, no. We're doing this 2023 style, everything virtual. If you want to be a realtor, we'll help you be the best realtor. If you want to be an investor, we'll help you be the best investor. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really key to understand, like, there's a lot of opportunity here. And then on top of that, the most important thing we talk about this in Whale Club is don't get blown up, right? Don't blow yourself up. Don't over leverage yourself. Don't put yourself in position where you can get knocked out. Like, if you Mm -hmm. look at the companies that have been around for a really long time, what are they really good at? Still being around. For sure. Right? They know how to make money. They know business. They understand money. But they're not over leveraged. Rule number one, like you can never have a situation where the game is over. you got right. to be able to keep playing. If you, if you risk it all over leverage and get knocked out. It's a lot harder to get back up. That sucks. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, best way to do that. Uh, Instagram, Facebook. TikTok, whatever. It's just all the same username. It's Ryan Zolin, R-Y-A-N-Z-O-L-I-N. Yeah, really simple. It was that easy. Boom. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you. Thank you guys for watching. I'll see you guys later. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.